This morning with Jalen and Daryl, we have Morley Scott off today. Cody Jansen filling in on the sports desk, so we'll be diving into uh, into the game from last night. But every time we watch now, uh, is is it now almost a drinking game that the moment a a, a gambling ad <laughs> pops up, us, Daryl? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, you'd be done in five minutes. It's repetitive over and over, and there's little flashes. Yeah. It's part of the broadcast. It's hey, here's uh, here's your here's your odds. Here's your this. Here's your that. It's, it's ubiquitous it's, to the, to an irritating level. I'm feeling it's a bit of overkill. Oh, it is overkill. And I mentioned this the other day. I do kind of get a kick out of a couple of the ads, like the 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 McDavid Gretzky, the Sasson back and forth, because I finally get to see a little bit of personality between the two sure. of them. But they I like be, that. They could be selling coffee. They could if, be if, if that's what it was. But right? instead, but it's just so much all the time. So the question is, and there are some uh, some jurisdictions or some leagues, some countries that are trying to put a lid on mm. on who can be uh, a spokesperson. Maybe putting a lid on the number of ads concerned about gambling and 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 and, and making it a worse societal problem than it already is. Is that likely to happen? Seems unlikely because there's a lot of money on the line. We wanted to have a chat about the future of sports gambling, online betting, of all the advertising with Michael Narain, who's an assistant sports management professor out of Brock University in Ontario. And no doubt this has been a high topic for for him and <laughs> colleagues over the last little while. Good morning, Michael Narain. Nice to have you on. Oh, thanks so much for having me, folks. Hey, Michael, is this the, hey. is is this going to change anytime soon? Are we just going to see uh, online uh, gambling and uh, the advertising just continue to ramp up uh, across this country in the coming months and years? Yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're at the baby steps. We're in our infancy here in North America when it comes to single game sports betting, and and the most important, the reason why we're seeing all these ads is that it is the very most important thing to these gambling operators, whether they're a crown, so like the Alberta, uh, like, like, like Play Alberta, or mm-hmm. if you're here in Ontario, like PointsBet, and you know you talked about a few others, BetMGM and FanDuel, if you're a third-party operator, the most important thing is to acquire a customer. Because once you've got the customer, um, we know, you know over time that you're going to extract a decent amount of value. And I'll just throw a little bit of the numbers at you. Like through the research, uh, so a lot of these operators are willing to invest roughly around 500 U.S. per person to acquire a customer. And that's because they know over time they're likely going to yield maybe close to three grand U.S., mm. if not more, out of each individual person. So you're, you're talking about a five to six times return on your investment if you acquire a customer and then, you know, get that value out of them over time. So if, if you know, and then again, that's, that's extrapolating it over all of the averages. So if you know that's the kind of bang on your buck that you're going to get, you're, you're going to spend that $500 per person on some of these big names like a celebrity, like mm-hmm. an active or a retired athlete. So, you know, we may put down some of the restrictions on these ads, and we can talk about that in the quick sec, but, uh, you know, this new world that we live in is uh, – it's not going away anytime soon. Well, and I know that there were a lot of teams who were pretty excited coming in saying that it would sort of change things for them. How are, how are the different teams in the different sports leagues making money off of this? Yeah, so, so there's multiple ways that they can make money. So the, the very first thing is by having an exclusive partner. So the Edmonton Oilers, uh, actually that's going to be a really bad example. I'm going to use the Toronto Maple Leafs because I'm a big Leafs fan, and you know let's hope they win today. Um, but <laughs> the, the Leafs are partnered with two sports books as their, their exclusive offering. 
Um, and so that's, that's, you know, proposition number one. Proposition number two is just general ads, uh, whether it's in the stadium, outside the stadium, on television, radio, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we're even seeing in the United States, as an example, we'll keep it North American for a second, but, you know, teams like the Washington Capitals have a sports book on their jersey patch only for their home games. There was some talk in Canada that, you know, maybe we might see jersey, uh, sorry, uh, uh, gambling sponsors on jersey patches. Um, I believe the CFL might still have that in some cases. Mm-hmm. Maybe the CEBL, uh, the Canadian Elite Basketball League. And, and so, and that's, this is, again, I just want to make this very clear. It seems like this is like doomsday here in North America. When, when, when we look at this from a global perspective, England and Australia have been going through this for 15 years now. This, this is not new. They're just on the other side of the cycle, or the end of the cycle, I should say, where they're now putting down some of these major clamps down on advertising and restricting you know, what we see, how we see it, and what these operators can do. Um, it, whilst still maintaining that consumer choice perspective. Michael, um, interesting, your your research, you know, Alberta saw close to a 40% growth in this online gaming since it became uh, legal about uh, a year ago. You're talking about Europe and, and the clampdown that um, they've done, changing things like when you can, limiting ads to before seven, not using influencers to, uh, you know, in commercials. What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so there's there's two major reasons, uh, Jalen. The first is if you've got active athletes, um, this harkens back to what we've been challenging in, in North America with sport for a long, long time, and actually it's not the world, which is this idea of sports integrity. You know, if I've got money on the if, – if I'm an active athlete and I'm saying you should bet on sports – Will that somehow throw the game into yeah. disrepute? Like if, if, you know, Connor McDavid is, you know, bootlicking for a particular company and then, you know, goes out and says, uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't have my best game tonight. Well, did they throw the, I mean, you know, Connor's a good guy, but like, did I, did I throw the game? And, and that's the whole Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could go on and on and on about those, those, uh, okay. those stories. Um, and we're even starting to see that in, in the NFL where current athletes are being reprimanded for betting, whether they're betting on football or, or something else. So that's, that's motivation number one. But motivation number two is the inducement of people under the, the, the legal gambling age. And so if I'm not mistaken, gambling in Alberta is 18. And, uh, you know, if you've got a Connor McDavid, that doesn't just appeal to the millennial like myself or, you know, the boomer like my father-in-law, but Connor McDavid appeals to a 12, 13 year old kid. And so, uh, you know, if Connor McDavid, as an example, again, you know, Connor's a good Ontario boy, but if, if he's saying you should be betting on sport, or if Jamie Foxx is saying you should be, or Austin Matthews, another current mm-hmm. NHL athlete, is saying you should bet on sport, um, you know, does that appeal to those in the 13, 14, 15 year old range? And I can tell you from the research, A, it does, and B, that's problematic for multi- a multitude of reasons, including the least of which. It drives youth, uh, adolescents to gray and black market operators, which is one of the reasons why we got into this game altogether. I mean, if you go back to, you know, the MP talks from, you know, 2015, 2016, Kevin Wan, Saskatchewan, it's we need to bring this money onshore. It needs to be regulated. We need to have research and education yeah. um, initiatives 
but yet we're going to do these things and allow our kids to gamble. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, bottom line, it is probably here to stay. It's a question as to what and whether or not we go through a cycle like they have in Europe, and we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we got to go. Michael, thank you so much for uh, your input. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Uh, have a great day, guys. Okay, yeah, you too. You betcha. Go Oilers. Go Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> go Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> Like to get that in there. Of course, if you're a homer. Huh? There we go. Okay, now that I know what, <laughs> how you're using that word, I'm going to accept that accept today. <laughs> uh, good to have Michael on, Assistant Sports Management Professor at Brock University uh, in Ontario. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick pause here. On the other side, uh, it was, you know, just a few years ago, yesterday that Mm -hmm. the beast tore through Fort McMurray. Um, We know that uh, there was a wildfire in Anzac, south of the city, uh, over the past couple of days. People in Fort Mac are rightfully nervous once again. We'll check in with one of those folks or one of those people who made it through the beast after this. 619 here on uh, this morning with Jalen and Daryl. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a been a rough several days oh, with the, the extreme heat and the wind and the fire hazard and the dry, dry fuel, mm. uh, both here in the Edmonton area, everywhere from the county of Leduc and around the Hende oh. to the to the fires out by Entwistle, Evansburg, and beyond. And uh, so for an awful lot of people who've had to live through the mm-hmm. tragedy of a fire, uh, this has been, well, triggering is the word we can use, but absolutely it would be. You're angst level would go right through the roof again. It was, as I mentioned before the break, seven years ago that, uh, seven years ago yesterday, May 3rd, that uh, the beast, uh, the, uh, the the Horse River wildfire uh, tore through uh, Fort McMurray. We woke up uh, on the 4th, um, mm-hmm. realizing the extent of the damage and that damage just continued to build. John Tupper lived through uh, that uh, Fort McMurray fire seven years ago. He is still in Fort McMurray with his family. Living, uh, living there, and a little bit on edge, of course, given what is going on. John, welcome back to the show. It's nice to talk to you again. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. John, uh, give us an idea what the feeling is in, in Fort McMurray these days, given you know the fire uh, south of the city, Anzac, uh, just a couple of days ago. It's been contained, but how are what's the vibe there? You know, I've been talking with my friends, and every uh, one of them says that this weather pattern is very reminiscent to them of, of the days leading up to the Fort McMurray wildfire. There was uh, deep blue, cloudless, clear skies, but mostly that uh, a really, really hot, dry, very fast wind. Um, and it just makes everybody, you know, remember um, just those moments, those days leading up to the fire. You don't even have to uh, bring up the conversation. You just have to say this weather, you know, brings back some thoughts and people just nod their head and say, yep. Uh, so especially when then you hear that, that communities nearby are on an evacuation alert. Again, that has since been lifted. But as soon as you hear evacuation alert, I'm trying to, it would almost be a visceral response or like a nervous response, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think everybody handled that uh, their own way. Uh, many people um, in this community, uh, you know, suffered some mental health impacts from the fire. I think it was something like uh, 35% of the community had uh, sought medical treatment for mental health in the days following the, the beast. And uh, what was really noticeable uh, in the community is the moment that that alert went out, the lineups at the gas stations started to form and all over town. So even though the, the, the city centre area of Fort McMurray was not in any immediate danger, um, people were starting to already take precautions, um, filling up on gas, maybe getting their stuff ready. And uh, the lineups were going around the block. It was really uh, amazing to see. 
Well, John, I guess that's also in part lessons learned from what you went through seven years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was um, I was flying back from Calgary. My wife was evacuating from Fort McMurray, and uh, once once I landed in Edmonton, where we were going to meet, uh, she was texting me every few minutes saying, "I'm not sure if my fuel is going to make it. I'm not sure if my fuel is going to make it." And then the evacuees that uh, had to abandon their cars, uh, you know, on the side of Highway 63 because they ran out of gas. That's just another layer, another attention. So I think people were being um, maybe a little precautionary. Maybe it was prudent to to ensure that they had a full full tank of gas. Uh, I got to tell you, John, I found that there was a, another fire around the Anzac area, and and I know that the beast itself was enormous. I think covered an area about the size of Prince Edward Island. But I thought, well, what fuel is there left uh, for it to actually burn? Because so many of those areas were already burned out. Yeah, that's a big question that I have in my mind. You know, it, it, on the one hand, uh, the, there's a huge natural fire break now surrounding the city. On the other hand, it has been seven years, and, you know, the forest is starting to return to a more normal look. There's less of that visual reminder of the fire here every day. There's a lot more green than there used to be. And so I'm wondering to myself, um, you know, when can it burn again? I know it's a natural part of the forest light cycle. How frequent is it? And, you know, are are my worries founded or are they uh, simply a, a reaction to what we've been through? Um, there's some questions that are certainly unanswered. John Tupper joining us this morning from uh, Fort McMurray. Uh, just his thoughts on, you know, seven years ago and, and what's happening right now. John, that's all the time that we have this morning. I want to thank you for making time for us. Stay safe and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for this. You bet. Take care of yourselves. Yeah, okay. take care. Bye. John Tupper, who... Um, yeah, I've known for, you know, through Facebook for a very, very long time. And after the days after Fort McMurray, we talked to him on 630 Ched quite extensively mm-hmm. about the experience that his family had gone through. Like so many who, you know, called in and who were there, same thing, you know, that, that we talked to. And I was just thinking about them the other day and thinking, I, I can't even imagine being in that city, yeah. hearing that evacuation alert for Anzac just south. And... What's going through your mind? Yeah, there's an evacuation alert or there's smoke in the air. Let's get to the gas station. Because the first thing you need to do is to be able to To get get out, out. right? So, wow, yeah, it still brings a lot of memories back. And I know certainly for us who who covered it, but for the people who lived through it, totally different kettle of fish.